Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is the CEO at Common Mode, Inc., Jess Escalona, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hi, Rich. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's so I'm so glad that we could uh, we could schedule this. I know that we had some scheduling difficulties for various numerous reasons at the end of last year. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad it finally worked out now. <laughs> yeah, me too. We both had both had a lot of things happening uh, towards the end of the year. So uh, so this this is great. Uh, welcome to the Speakeasy. This being a Speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight, Jess? I have water. Water. <laughs> little, uh, I typically would join you on, you know, like a beer or something, but I am home with my kids alone until about eight. That's probably when the alcohol will totally understand. There show are, up. <laughs> there are there are many different reasons to not drink alcohol, and that is a good one. And I believe that I have heard that one before as well. Uh, a lot of times it's people have more work to do later in the day, and uh, we all know that it's really a poor idea to drink before uh, narrating or drink any anything more than a, a the tiniest little drop. I've tried whiskey before for mouth noise, which uh, I've had mixed results with that, um, but uh, it's always just the, the tiniest little drop. And uh, once in my entire career did I drink before narrating, and I knew after that that it would never happen again. <laughs> <laughs> So I totally understand. Lots of reasons. Uh, I am having a drink tonight. This being the um, right after the holidays, just in case anybody's listening to this much later in the future, right after the 2022 holidays. Um, I we go over to a friend's house for Christmas most years these days. And um, in, in exchange for them feeding us Christmas dinner, I bring along my uh, mar- mobile bartender kit and uh, make drinks. And uh, our host actually sent me a link to a drink that she thought sounded good. And I thought, I, I agree. I think that sounds pretty good. So I'm having a Whoville's Spiced Up Margarita, uh, which I made for Christmas this year. And uh, I, I really like this. It's a, it's a juice drink. Uh, so it's tequila and triple sec, just like in a margarita. But it's got orange juice and pomegranate juice. And then you add a bunch of spices, cinnamon, ginger, stuff like that. Do a little sugar rim on the glass, and uh, I we all agreed that it came out really well for a for a holiday drink. It's also got just a pinch of cayenne, and so you don't you don't taste it as hot pepper. You just taste it as you know a real warming spice, and uh, that's that's usually welcome at the holidays here in Tucson. Not quite as much as other places because we actually had dinner outside this year. But um, but in a lot of places, a lot of people like warm drinks. So uh, so tonight it's a uh, spiced up margarita for me. Sorry you can't join in the alcohol right now. I hope whatever you have later is good. Uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be welcome, I'm sure. So uh, thanks for coming in, Jess. Cheers. Cheers. So uh, if I remember correctly, you are back east. Yes, I'm in uh, New Jersey. All right. And uh, is that where you grew up or uh, are you a transplant? Yeah, no, I grew up in a town called Belleville, New Jersey, which is about five minutes from Newark, which is usually what people know. Um, That's where our airport is. And then I moved around New Jersey, like for like once I got to my adulthood. Um, Right now I am in Springfield, New Jersey, which is I think like 20 minutes from Newark at this point. Okay. Um, and I'm about 15 minutes from Newark, where Audible is, and 15 minutes also from where Common Mode is, where I work. No, that's that's good. And uh, so you're probably not too far out from uh, Manhattan either. Nope, probably like uh, on a good day, a 45 minute drive. On yeah. a bad day, an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> I was, I was um, going to say, I used to live in LA, and there were good days and bad days, and there was a huge difference between the two. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, this, our town's considered communable. Um, there's trains nearby, so I can just hop on the bus. I usually hop on the train when I go to APAC, when mm. APAC, well, usually it's in New York, but mm-hmm. I know a few times they've had it somewhere else. But yeah, it's a quick train ride for us to Manhattan. Yeah, I know that they used to move it around and now they're moving it around to maybe 
not be in person half the time or more than half the time. Um, but I, I think that it was right, be right before I went to my first one, I think they had it in Chicago and I thought it would be great if they kept moving it around and especially if they went to LA, cause I could just drive at that point, but, uh, <laughs> that hasn't happened since. So. Yeah. I think they used to do it with book expo. Mm -hmm. Cause I remember I would attend book expo as well. And then for some reason, book expo doesn't exist anymore. So it's yep. probably like the pandemic did it in. So it I'm pretty yeah. sure maybe the APA has more way to move it around. I hope they move it around. <laughs> I think it would be great, but I know that there are some things that they're, uh, that they have switched to virtual and they are keeping virtual even when it's going to be in person. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens in the next few years. I, I believe that right now the plan is in-person APAC in 2023, virtual APAC in 2024, and then I don't think they have plans yet for after that. And I'm really curious to see where they go with it, um, to see whether they decide, eh, we're just not going to do it in person. Or, no, everybody really likes it in person more. Or, we're not tied to Book Expo now, so we can move around. I, I don't know. I'm really curious to see what happens. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. So, are you planning on going this year? Yeah, I, I should I will be there this year. I didn't buy my ticket yet. I don't know if they even went on sale. I usually forget to purchase it until <laughs> like the last second. Yeah. And someone reminds me like, did you sign up? Because <laughs> you have to be there. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'll sign up now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I should be there. You're planning on going. Yeah. yeah, we're, yeah, it's New York this year. So I mm. have no issues traveling around for it. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, well, so it sounds like you stayed in New Jersey then, even after, uh, after getting into adulthood and, uh, you just kind of moved around to different places there locally. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I went to college in New Jersey. Um, that wasn't my original plan, but I couldn't say no to the opportunity and scholarships and it just really helped me out. And then right after college, I found um, I started working in audiobooks and I've just never had the need to leave no, partly. Great. Yeah. Partly because, um, our studios in New Jersey, we were so close to Manhattan that there was really like no reason to either move to Manhattan or, or go somewhere else. Although mm -hmm. now that we're, we're officially fully remote until further notice, I'm mm -hmm. like, thinking oh i could just like pack up my family and be yeah. somewhere else for doesn't a few. really matter that much yeah anymore. <laughs> yeah um but yeah so what did you do in school i did sound engineering arts oh so, no kidding so you've been in even even from uh, college days you've been in the audio world yeah i would say even before college i was um in high school i did the the musicals and stuff mm -hmm. like local church things, I would be involved with the audio portion of it. Um, so the audio thing was just straight into like my career. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so so after getting the uh, the audio stuff. So is there a specific degree that that you got that is um, that is in audio? What, what's the degree called? So I have a bachelor's in music. So the school I went to, I went to William Patterson. The way they did it is you have to concentrate in an instrument and classical or jazz and um, basically have like a performance major on top of learning the sound mm -hmm. engineering art. So I got to learn on a multi-track, like, I forget, a genet. I don't know the term anymore, mm -hmm. but one of those really big multi-track mixers and mm -hmm. I learned how to do tape while I was there um all these things plus learning the art to performing so I was a classical piano major as well that's fantastic. Um, and that's yeah that's basically my degree is like a combination of recording arts plus the music degree all in one that's, that's fantastic I started a music degree. major and then um I almost failed out of music history and I thought I love the theory. I hate the history, which is kind of funny because now as I'm old, the older I've gotten, the more I, I am interested in historical things. So I think that if I were to be able to go back with my current brain back 40 years to, to do my degree, I would maybe even do really well in music history. It's just at the time I was just so uninterested. And so, um, so I, and plus there was also the performance aspect and I've always been a 
barely competent pianist and i just knew that um it's just it's one of those things that you you get a feel for at some point and i knew what my uh limitations were and i felt like it was kind of a brick wall in terms of my my ability to interpret the music for for that instrument so i just thought wow between performance and history now i got to go a different direction but uh but that's great that you were able to do both uh instrumental and uh the audio engineering and then that led directly into audiobooks right yeah so that's that's cool so what'd you do right after you got out of school then well, while I was in school, I was doing internships. So I did a hip hop studio in Newark. And then I also did post-production for TV in the city. And from doing both of those things, I thought to myself, like, I really hated both. <laughs> and I got... No I, kidding. I, yeah. It's, I, it's so funny because you started saying that. And I thought, wow, post-production on TV shows. How cool. And it was something that you just didn't like. It's very cool to say you do it. I will agree with that. <laughs> the, the hours are awful. Oh, yeah. Um, and just basically climbing that ladder, I felt like was going to be this tremendous task that I didn't feel like, like, you know, when you're not called to it, then you're just like, oh, I'm just going to do it. So then yeah. it, it doesn't work. So I, I was about to graduate thinking like, holy crap, like I'm, I hate it. I don't like it. I like yeah. it, but I don't like it. It's yep. weird. No, um, I totally get that. I mean, if you're not passionate about something, a 16 hour a day job is just torture. Right. And yeah. both of those situations where were very long days where talent would come for like three hours, they would come to either do their ADR or in the hip hop studio, they would come to lay down their tracks and then you know, the 10 hours preceding that is mixing and being in a room by yourself. And it was just like really not fun for me. Like yeah. I was like, it's really cool to say I did it, but also like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Um, and I actually was like walking around my school on the final days leading into graduation thing. Like I'm, I'm practically screwed. Like I'm going to have to go back to school <laughs> for something. Some and I was degree, just like, yeah playing out my thoughts. And then my advisor came and he was like, Oh, come, come sit with me in my office. Like, what else do you have to do? It's gra graduations like four days. And I right. go, okay. And I was telling him like, you know, I, I think I've made a mistake. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think I want to pursue this or like, I'm not like I'm done. Right. So like, I already have the degree, basically. I just have to walk down that aisle and I go, yeah, I think I'm going to go back to school for something else, like maybe business or something. Um, and he looked at me and he was like, okay, why don't you do this? He was like, um, and at the time I was also teaching piano. So there was just like this part of me was like, oh, I could always just like branch off the piano thing and maybe open my own studio and then sure, have yeah. it like do it the way I want to do it. Right. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, and he was like, why don't you work with this guy who is Paul Fowley at common mode and just like do some edit work make some money and then figure out what you want to do. He was like, maybe he was like, you're so close. Like, I forgot how he termed it, but it was basically like you made it this far. And if you want to do something else, like don't rush into it right away. Mm -hmm. Like really yeah. sit with it. Like if that's your decision to go back and do something else, like then do it. But you've come all this way for you not to like use your degree for a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. so I went to my, my interview at common mode and like I was instantly hired. Um, and I've been there ever since. <laughs> wow. That's great. I, that sounds like really good advice to me. I know that they always, um, I've, I've heard the advice many times when there's a, a major life change, like when you have a partner die or, or, uh, you have a new baby in the family or when there's a major life change, usually it's not the best choice to say, boom, major, major other change of my choosing. And, uh, and so it sounds like really good advice to just kind of sit with it. And you ended up getting into something that has, uh, apparently worked out really well. Right. Right. So what did like, you, what, what did you do at common mode initially? I was QC. So I would, um, the books would have been recorded, edited, mastered at that point. And I would just have the script. I would have the audio and I would go through the issues I'd find after they did. Like 
at that point that I would get the books at that stage, they would have had pick a pickup round already. Mm. So basically I was counting, like grabbing the issues for the next pickup round if they mm -hmm. needed one. Some books would come and there's just no issues, but there would be other books where like, you know, the author had a hard time. So then there were more issues to go through. So that was my first job at Common Mode. So they were they were already doing audiobooks at that point, but you mentioned before we started recording that Common Mode's been around for a long time and that it wasn't uh it's a lot of different things. What were they doing originally? Um, so there's a couple things. I know Paul started in radio broadcasting and he he was he might still be doing it. I don't know, but he was working with college radios in New Jersey and just setting up their studios. Um working as kind of like an advisor role mm. to them. He also dabbled with video production, but I don't think that really sparked anywhere. It might spark up later down the road. But um, by the time I had gotten to Common Mode, it was all audiobooks. Oh, okay. So that was like almost 11 years, 2011. And that was just kind of what I felt like the start, or for me, it was the start. And mm. then... I remember as the years went on and on, there was just like way more books mm -hmm. added yeah. to like the the whole schedule. And now like I hear certain people are going with audiobook all in, meaning like if it can be made into an audiobook, they're going to go for it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So it was, I would say 2011 was kind of like before that big spark of everything becoming an audiobook. Cause I remember even doing abridged, unabridged versions and that's slowly gone now. Yeah, um, very little, if any, of that is happening at this point. But uh, but that was 2011, I believe. That was the year that ACX started as well. And um, and so that was right when it was... I, the, the way that I think of it, because audiobooks have been around for 40 or 50 or 60 years or whatever it is. And I listened to some on tape back in the 80s. But um, the way that I think of it is that, you know, it was a very, very, very slow buildup for decades. And it was right in the, I don't know, right around 2010 that it started to pick up a little. And then within five years, it was just exploding and continues to. I know that it's been double digit growth for, I think, I think eight or 10 years now. So, right, right. Yeah. So I, I basically entered the audiobook industry as that boom was happening. That's great. Good timing. <laughs> <laughs> so I really found a nice place here which is also why i never left because it, it just worked with my life i think um, sure yeah so so there were it was all audiobooks at that point and you were doing qc and then what else have you done there what was kind of your your path to where you are now sure um so then the next step for me there was editing i did a lot of mm. editing then i slowly went into like directing and engineering because I believe our studio was built around 2013. We hadn't, we didn't have a studio for a while. And then mm -hmm. it was like probably 2013. And then I worked in there for a little bit. Um, and then I started managing different client loads. So the first client I had was the self-help business uh, publisher, very small. And then I branched into doing all the other things at common mode. Mm, and okay. then, um, last year was when Paul announced that I'd be the CEO, um, after years of just doing different client loads, getting to know the different clients. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the trajectory. Well, that's, that's great. So the CEO thing is relatively recent. And so you're kind of responsible for everything, but I'm sure you're not doing everything. I mean, I, I can't imagine that you're doing the editing and QC and, and directing every book and all of that. <laughs> so I, I imagine that there are other employees. Um, what do you really, as the CEO, I know that a lot of CEO responsibilities for a lot of companies is um, not at all in the trenches. It's more behind the scenes, um, you know, the numbers for the organization. Um, what what do you spend most of your time on and what do you enjoy spending most of your time on? Well, most of my time is spent in my email, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I don't enjoy email as much. But what I really do enjoy is like connecting um, 
and, you know, like teaching others about audiobook production. So like the biggest thing from last year, I would say we are building up is uh, independent author productions Mm. and like really holding their hands through the whole thing um, from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And that has been a real joy for me just to see it go from start to finish. I mean, I've seen thousands of books at this point go from Mm -hmm. start to finish. But when it comes to that independent author, it's nice to have seen it from like the source. Because a lot of times with a publisher, it's not the source. Like I get it from a producer who got it from an editor who got Mm -hmm. it from like from the editor, from the agent. And then maybe they would have had contact at some point with the author. Um, But usually these books get like the independent authors we get, they get a lot of love because I actually get to meet the author. We sit, we talk about like what really scares them about this process. Um, We go through like, you know, the investment portion of it. Like this is going to cost money. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going to hire a narrator, especially if you need to use our studio, it's it's going to be pricey. What's you know, a lot of them want to know if there's a rate on the like a return on the investment, and I say not always. It de- it depends. Yeah. Um, yeah. But seeing it come to life is just always magical to me. That's cool. Is it a lot of um, in, in that segment of the work that you do? Is it a lot of first time? audiobook authors so they're they've been a writer for a while but they haven't explored the audiobook world because it was too complicated or they did they heard bad things or whatever it was do you get a lot of people who just have no experience getting an audiobook made yeah yeah Yeah. a lot or a lot of times it's referred from an author who had a really good experience with us Mm, and then they I would say a lot of the authors I get, they're like nervous about either having to read it themselves or making sure they've got the right narrator to like figure out the pronunciations and all that stuff. So yeah, most of the time it is first time authors who like have no clue or they have a clue, but they're really nervous about the whole thing in general, which is really fair. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, a lot of moving parts, especially, um, well, Definitely a lot of moving parts. And uh, for somebody who isn't familiar with it, I, I have dealt with some authors who've never had an audiobook made. And there is a lot of handholding. And my my experience has been that they really appreciate that. Because I'll, I'll tell them honestly, like you said, sometimes there isn't a return. Um, there are a lot of different reasons to get an audiobook made. And sometimes the financial... It, it doesn't work out because they don't do enough marketing or they don't have enough readership yet or whatever it is. Um, but they still like having their book in audio format and um, they really appreciate the handholding. So I'm sure you've had a lot of experiences like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So what what all kinds of audiobooks does Common Mode produce? Different genres, all genres, anything that you guys skip? <clears throat> we do it all. Um, yeah. We don't skip. Um, there's some I wish we could skip, but I'll leave that for another conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no names, no titles. <laughs> yeah. I will not drop even like the genre or the vibe of the book, yeah, but no, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we've done a lot. Um, romance all the way to nonfiction, memoir, historical, sci-fi. Yeah, it gets crazier and crazier. I think each year. That's cool. Anything that you particularly, uh, personally enjoy more than others working on? I guess it depends. I mean, for me, um, it's always like a a great written novel is with the paired with the perfect voice is mm. like my favorite. Yeah. Um, I also love non like to read nonfiction. So every time I get to work on nonfiction, that's fun for me too. Like I like learning. I like hearing other like lately i've been enjoying memoirs like hearing Mm. someone's story from start to finish has been really enjoyable for me that's cool that's cool a good a a well-written memoir is um i i find them fun because you really get uh, inside somebody's head more than you do reading about them in the news or whatever it is right right and everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a background. Everybody's got interesting things that happen to them. Sometimes we don't feel that way, but everybody's got something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Um, sounds like there's a lot of lot of different things going on. A uh, lot of lot of different types of books. How many books do you do a year um, these days, on average? Do you think? 
Um, I know last year was about, this is where it gets funky. So for post-production side, meaning we've done the mastering, the editing and all that, I would say last year's number was 368. And I'm assuming this year's number is either like in the mid 400s or I would like to hope it hit the 500. But again, I don't like I haven't done those numbers yet for Don't 2022. Yet. Right, right. Um, so I'm not sure, but it did feel like it was a lot more of a load. But when we talk QC, because we are a QC stop for a lot of the publishers, mm. I would say that's definitely has hit over a thousand at that point every oh, year. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Last so... year, I know it was like about 1500 for QC. And this year definitely was like 17 or so, 1700. That's great. A lot of That's different books go through. Yeah. Yeah. Different types, different genres. Um, author read, narrator read, multi-read. Yeah. Are you still doing uh, directing? Me? No, but Paul is. So uh. part of the reason why I'm also the CEO is because his dream job is to direct every day. Oh, wow. And he, yeah. He couldn't do that if he left behind like the post-production side of things. So now I manage the whole post-production machine Got and it. he's off doing directing almost. I, I want to say he like directed a lot this year. Cause every other day I would ask like, Oh, are you working today? And he's like, Oh, I'm directing for so-and-so I'm directing for so-and-so. And I was like, Oh, cool. So he gets to live out the directing. I, I don't direct as much unless I really have to. Yeah. <laughs> But you still, you still follow all the different pieces and take part mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my biggest job is probably like, that's why I'm always in my email is like the scheduling, piecing mm, together who right. gets what part, um, making sure that it flows so that the publisher or the author gets what they need at a, at the right time. You know, so we, do you we don't do, you do a lot of casting too, or is that somebody else there mostly? No. Um, I would say of all of our post-production titles, probably 2% of them are casted by us. Oh. Meaning we do like the auditions for the client and about 98% is casted by somebody else. So like in the case of Simon and Schuster, like that's a, already been casted. Mm -hmm. We just got hired for post and then for Harper, we cast on their behalf so you'll well, like and we pay them on like we pay narrators on harper's behalf got it okay but for the most part it's um stuff is already cast when it comes to you correct yeah okay um sounds like it's been a great fit for uh for quite a long time since you started there and are still there after getting out of school yeah i mean um the biggest qualms i had with doing the hip hop studio, doing post-productions. Like I didn't have control over my hours. And at the time I was also teaching piano. So then I was like, I really didn't want to leave my students behind. Mm -hmm. I really didn't want to leave my students behind. But then it's also, if I wanted to work in sound, I would have to, like one had to give. And I wasn't right. like ready to give up other parts of my life. But audiobooks was great because I could make my hours. Um, Common Mode has always been very generous with how they handle my time. If I had to go at six to teach a student, they would be like, yeah. And it worked out really well because where I was teaching was about 10 minutes from Common Mode mm. at the time. So it just like, I almost remember thinking back like 10, 11 years ago, like this seems like it's the perfect fit. Mm -hmm. I should just keep going. Um <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, I had my kids and I didn't like, I didn't struggle with like having to figure out how I was going to jumpstart my career. I just got to keep going. Yeah. Like, you really can't ask for more, I think. Yeah, really. That's, that's very cool. I, a few of us have gone through a few um, pretty major career shifts and uh, it's always a bit jarring. So, uh, so that's very cool that it worked out that way. Um, so you've, you know, dealt with thousands of, of books at this point. Um, what what is it that makes that process go well? So most of most of the listeners to this podcast are narrators, and um, I know that they frequently want to hear what is it that they should do. How is it that they should do things to make sure that the the people that they're working for are happy that they're working with them? 
So what works really well when uh, when you're dealing with a narrator and uh, makes you say, this has been a really good experience. I would definitely work with this person again. Um, good communication. That will mm. always be my answer. And it took me many years to realize that all it took was a simple email to say, hey, I'm not feeling well today. I can't mm. do those pickups. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say good communication too, it's one of those things where like, don't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sometimes with narrators, you want to wait it out to see if my voice gets better or, you know, and then it like your voice got progressively worse. Mm -hmm. And if you had just told us in the beginning of the week that your voice wasn't feeling too hot and we might suggest like, okay, just try it. And if it didn't work out, you know, then we go to whoever and say, listen, you're not feeling well. We have to push this a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but for some reason, I always feel like I'm finding myself in these last minute situations where I'm like, but you felt sick earlier this week. You couldn't just tell us you felt sick, especially, I mean, with narrating, it's hard, right? Because we're dealing, you're dealing with the voice. So mm -hmm. and it's like temperamental. Like if yeah. you rest it, it might get better. But if you're sick and you rest it, it's going to get worse until you're better. Yep. Um. It's tough. So, that, that's that's really good to hear because um, I, I think it's a really good reminder because I've I've heard that before and I know that it's true and yet that just happened to me a month and a half ago, and so I did. I got in front of it and it turned out that they didn't have much wiggle room with the deadline, but fortunately my symptoms started to clear up real quickly. It it all worked out okay, but it's a good reminder to hear that because what was going through my mind is I'm sure what has gone through the minds of the narrators that you have dealt with where you get a last minute because you don't want to give up that work. You don't want to give up that job. You don't want to come across as somebody who can't be relied upon. So you end up waiting it out because you think if it'll get better and then it ends up being doubly bad if it doesn't get better, uh, whereas it would have been better to just let people know ahead of time. Right. And that's exactly it. I think people, narrators in general, are very nervous about stepping on the wrong toes because it could mean certain things. And I have seen certain people say certain things about people. And I go, you know, my experience with working that, with that narrator wasn't like that. And maybe you just need to give them a second chance. Because it, sometimes it just takes that one experience of like coming down to the last minute for someone to say, I don't think I want to work with that person. But really would have just been solved if you just said up front in the beginning of the week, I don't feel very well. I'm yeah. going to try it and see what it is. There's a lot of things like for us, we try to like assess the pickups. So then we'll look like maybe we can fix it. We'll try to mm -hmm. fix it. And then we'll ask you for like maybe three lines instead of 50. Mm -hmm. um, and right. if you're still feeling sick, we'll try to, you know, just replace the little sliver of the syllable or, or, mm -hmm. you know, the word that we need so that it's pretty coherent, but yeah, good communication and don't wait. Like that's like the biggest thing is I don't think if you are early enough with it, I think no one's going to get upset, but if it becomes a last minute thing, then it, that's when it, I feel like people get upset, like producers yeah. post people get upset. Yeah, no, that's a great reminder. Um, like I said, I've, I've heard that before. So aside from the communication, have you have you had any experiences at Common Mode where it has it has made you rethink doing this type of work or working with that type of person, not just narrators, maybe authors or or in specific genres, any experiences where you look at it and say, well, that was a good learning experience. And what I learned from that was I'm not going to do this again. No, but I've come very close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, you're right, because there's always a learning experience with everything. And there have been many books where the experience was just really bad. And I thought, maybe we just don't work with people like that. I had an author who was fairly famous for reality TV, and they didn't know how to read. Mm. So the engineers feeding them the line. Oh, wow. And then we have to piece it together. That, I think, was one of the worst where I was like, maybe we don't do people who don't know how to read. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, not that's like the worst case scenario. Um, many times with 
uh, sci-fi and like lack Mm -hmm. of pronunciation guides. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one where I kind of have like a red flag up and I'm like, just because I've been in certain situations where I tried to Google something to find out that the author made that tribe up and it doesn't exist um, which makes it so much more difficult with the pronunciation, right? Because it's not like I can call the author. Right. Well, in some cases you might be, but when it's like at that point, I could not. So right. I if it's if it has been formed to you from a different production company, then you don't have that that contact. Correct. Yeah. Um, for a while, I was like, I don't think I will do sci-fi ever again. <laughs> um, I, I've heard a lot of that uh, for both sci-fi and fantasy. Is fan- um, yeah, fantasy's tough, and yeah. then um, got to get the words from the from the horse's mouth. Correct. Um, but other than that, no. I mean, I think like even with the sci-fi stuff, I've learned from that experience. Like, you know, ask for the pronunciation up front. If it's if it's not available, say like, you know, we can't be responsible for any of the words in here mm-hmm. because we don't have the guide right. um, and just setting really clear boundaries between you and whoever you're working for. And mm-hmm. just saying like, OK, if you don't have a guide, that's fine. I will still we will still do posts, but you cannot hold us liable for this. Or if it does have to get fixed later on, like you're going to have to pay us to do right, it. Right. Right. Um, extra, extra charge. Yeah. Or, you know, but a lot of times now it's very rare that I get a fantasy sci-fi book that does not have a pronunciation guide. <laughs> I would I would like to think that over the past, you know, as things have exploded in audiobooks, especially in those genres, that um, there's a lot more um, people are a lot more knowledgeable about what information they at least at the publishing houses, what information they really need to get up front to prevent those problems happening later. Yeah. So I I would like to hope that that's the case. (laughs) Right. I definitely, I mean, even with, um, we've been working, one of the publishers is using Positron as their pronunciation guide. Mm -hmm. And that has been like, like, I feel like it's game changing. Mm -hmm. I even told the publisher, I'm like, you should do this. (laughs) I, I had heard that from somebody else. I had never used it. And then I did a book for somebody who was using positron for um for the pronunciation and they sent me that and i had already pre-read the book and i made my own list and i thought oh well that's cool that they do that but i've got my list and then i had some mistakes and it was because i either hadn't looked something up and yet they were in that positron packet and i thought okay so this was and i let them know this as well this was a learning experience for me the tool is there you should use it. <laughs> you know, it's, it was, it was available to me. I just didn't think to go through all of it. Cause there were, a, there was a lot of stuff in there and I kept finding stuff that I already knew, but I should have gone through every single line. They provided it. They went through the effort of providing that information. And if I had just gone through it, I would have found a few things that I didn't realize were going to be a problem. So um, that was, you know, that was my learning experience along those lines. But I did find uh, after I did use it that it was really helpful. Yeah, I really like how it can it sorts by when it shows up first. Mm-hmm. And I find that handy um, and how many times it shows up. Like you can tell if it's like a very important word or like a only shows up twice word mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> which is really cool but i usually um what i like to do on those heavy pronunciation guides is just like go through and highlight the script to know that like just so our proofers know that this word was in the pronunciation guide so when they uh. encounter it they can go back and it's not like because sometimes with proofing i think and you have a pronunciation guide you don't you can't necessarily see it because there's sure. just like a guide, a script, and you're like, wait, what's happening? Too, yeah, too much information um, going in, yeah. But it is nice, like, if I get a list of like 200 words on the guide to just be able to highlight and just say, listen, those words are in there. So just mm-hmm. use the guide. But yeah, yeah uh, different publishers handled the pronunciations better than others, obviously. And as I've seen the years go by, it's getting tremendously better. <laughs> Oh, that's good to hear. Narrators are doing a a much better job with it. So Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. I just feel like there's so many tips out there that help a lot of people um, that it's gotten, it's easier for people to 
to be better with their pronunciation work. Yeah, it it took me a while. I mean, as I was coming up, I was uh, I always thought, well, sure, you want to pronounce things correctly. But I don't think that I put as much importance on it early on as I should have. And I know that there are words now that were in my first, you know, five or 10 books that I should have looked up. I didn't. I pronounced it the way, yeah, I think this is right without really thinking about it too much. And it wouldn't have taken me more than a few minutes to to come up with it. And uh, it turns out I was wrong. So now I'm I'm much more um, diligent about writing down anything that I think might be an issue. And, and even still, you can get it wrong. So um, it's always uh, my experience more recently in the past couple of years is definitely better to go in there with uh, as much information as possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to hear that uh, that's kind of common in narrator circles. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, um, so as a CEO of a company, you're, of course, very busy. Uh, what do you do when you're not being CEO of Common Mode Inc.? I go rock climbing. Oh, wow. But inside, like in at a rock climbing gym. Sure, I don't yeah. really go outside. Um, mm-hmm. I also enjoy powerlifting. So like that's your squat, bench, deadlift. Um, and I'm a mom. So after all those hobbies are done, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a mom. So I get to play Legos and stuff. <laughs> a little bit lighter than the powerlifting stuff. That's cool. Um, that's a lot of good stuff. I, I had some family in town, I don't know, four or five, six years ago, whatever it was. And we went to a local uh, rock climbing place. Had a really good time. Not something that I've ever done either in the wild or in a gym. And uh, I had a really good time. I, I thought briefly about doing a subscription just for, you know, general fitness and having fun while I was doing it. Ended up doing other stuff instead. But um, but it was it was great. Um, yeah. have, have you thought about doing like a, a major trek where you go someplace where you're doing actual climbing out in the wild? Yes, yes. Although when I had my kids that dream i feel like slowly <laughs> drift away yeah, i mean well, I, you got a lot more responsibilities now <laughs> yeah i mean i went hiking in yosemite for a few days and i kept thinking oh my like oh my gosh if i die here no one's gonna know i have no cell service like they're gonna yeah. just find my body i'm like that's what would happen if you go rock climbing in the wild although yeah. i mean i have done it outside i've gone to like the local crag and um it's you know it's safe like you take your calculated risk and you just need sure. to know like um, my bottle, my body can handle this. My body cannot handle that. Right. I don't think I want to be doing this. And you just, um, do it a little bit, but I, I would like to plan a climbing trip one day, um, probably somewhere where the climbs are easier. So I would assume that's like red rocks or mm. yeah, red rocks is usually like the most popular one. I feel that everyone goes to, they and say, where, where is that? I think that's Vegas. So that's, um, that's what I was thinking was Vegas. There's also some places here in Arizona that um, mm-hmm. Red Rock something, but uh, it, I was assuming that you were talking about out in Vegas um, yeah, or outside of Vegas anyway. And I assume that if you did that, it would probably be a, a group thing anyway. So it's not like we would have to worry about nobody finding your body for three weeks. Cor- correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although like I came back from Yosemite and I, I said to my partner, I was like, I think I'm going to go back there by myself. And he was like, you know, that's where I'm going to be like, I'm a little uncomfortable with the yeah. idea of that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it to a, a group trip um, and take my solo trips on a more, safe i i take solo trips to disney world all the time um <laughs> that's another thing like a hobby i have is like i'm obsessed with disney world oh that's funny but um i feel like that's safe because it's like there's so many people in that place that oh, there's yeah. no way something's gonna happen to me or you know like it's not like the woods <laughs> right 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 and it's and it's especially not like the woods in the winter where not only do you have to wait for somebody to find you in that area, you have to wait for the snow to melt for people to find you. Right, right. Yeah, there's no snow in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. I, I can understand the uh, Disney World thing. I've actually never been to Disney World, but when I was a kid, we'd go to Disneyland every year since we lived in Southern California. And for years, that was just a thing. I just figured if it was a year that I didn't make it to Disneyland, it was a bad year. And uh, so I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually very popular for people from New Jersey to travel there for Disney World. It's 
I have many friends who are like me who would just love as adults going there all the time. Um, yeah, it is funny. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I'm sure that uh, have have you taken the kids there yet? Yes, yes. So the kids, I mean, my youngest is only three. He's turning four, but he's been about like five times, I think. Wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little too much. A little I'm too sure, much. I'm sure that they're going to get their fill of Disney by the time they're teenagers. <laughs> I, th I think I'm getting pretty close to where um, my oldest is like, you know, I kind of want to go here. And, and I was like, you know, it's time to go yeah. to other places, to other places. Yeah, for sure. Branch out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Jess, this has been so great uh, speaking with you. I'm so glad this finally worked out. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to look up you or Common Mode or uh, anything like that? Uh, Common Mode's on Instagram. Um, our tag is Common Mode Inc. So C-O-M-M-O-N-M-O-D-E-I-N-C. Okay. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but if you follow Common Mode, you it, you will find me. <laughs> just like <laughs> it's it's really just my name, Jess Escalona. Um, I'm also on TikTok and Twitter too. Yeah, I know you're on Twitter because I follow you on Twitter. Um, I God, I haven't been on Instagram. Well, I was the other day, but for the most part, not for months. Um, I just I find the social media thing more and more difficult the older I get to spend the amount of time on it that I know a lot of people enjoy and get a lot out of it professionally. And I just, I have such a hard time with it, but I find, I still find Twitter pretty easy despite the fact that the platform is kind of going down the tubes. I'm really curious to see what happens to Twitter in the next year or so. I know. Um, yeah. I know. And it's, it's like quiet there now. It's really sad. Yeah. I feel like it was booming with narrators. Um, I agree though. Like the, it was the easiest of all of them mm -hmm. to just write out like, you know, a thought. Yeah. Or, it it took me a little really while to, to get into Twitter. And then once I did, I thought, oh, this is great. And then for the past, you know, six months or whatever it's been, it's uh, been going down. So we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully it'll either come back or do better, or maybe I'll just get off of that one and go over to Instagram and stay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's easy stuff you could do with Instagram. I know. Um, Sometimes you just post like a random picture and add your Twitter caption. That's mm -hmm. what I used to do. But yeah, you know, it's not it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. But I do yeah. like the connecting piece of social media. So do I. And that's that's one of the reasons, probably the main reason that I haven't just been able to get off of it completely. I, I've got friends who aren't on any social media. And I like the idea, but I really like being able to be connected to people who I knew years ago and who were good friends and who are still good friends. But if I wasn't connected on social media, it's really unlikely that I would talk to them more than every once every five years. And I, I like being able to stay connected to people. So it's this uh, inner turmoil of staying connected and wasting time and all the other nonsense that goes with it. So anyway, it's uh, good to hear that you're on Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and TikTok. Uh, so tell me about what you're doing on TikTok? Are you finding TikTok a good platform? Are you enjoying it? Are you just waiting to see how it goes? As a consumer, I enjoy it. Like I, I even like the narrators I see on there doing what they're doing. I think is phenomenal. It's mm. very. I find it entertaining. Like people in their booths giving their misreads. I think that's always gives me a chuckle mm. um but for me i i literally take again i'm like all about simplicity i take what i put on instagram back mm. on tiktok but there there are some people who only pick one right um right. so then i'm connecting in different ways but definitely for a consumer i'm just kind of seeing where that platform goes it's very interesting to me mm -hmm. but yeah in terms of you using oof, yeah, for business I, and all this i'm like i don't know i it's some i i go i ebb and flow out of it all the time like i'm i could pull out a lot of video content and then you won't hear from me for like 30 days <laughs> like i'm just you know sounds like me hard. on instagram it's, yeah. yeah it's hard all right well that, that's good to know that you're there though and uh, yeah. i i also have heard great things about i i know natalie nautis does a lot on tiktok and there are other narrators she's who are she's so funny yeah and i know <laughs> there are others who have you know continued to move up in terms of how many people are following them so um so that's great good to know that you're out there 
Well, uh, before we go, do you have any, uh, aside from from good communication, do you have any words of wisdom for uh, aspiring narrators out there? Keep going. Yeah. I know sometimes it's tough when it's um, one book and then four months comes, nothing. Mm. But I think, um, you know, just keep going and do what you're doing. Like, reach out, keep that connection going. Yeah. Because um, it'll eventually... You know, if the work is good, you'll eventually be consistent, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Good words to live by. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, Jess, thanks so much for coming into the speakeasy. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So kind to sit here with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Jess Escalona for stopping in. I really enjoyed hearing about how the degree she didn't think she'd get much use out of led to a welcome career in the audiobook world, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Special shout-out this week to April Doty, my latest patron at the beer level. April, I'm so glad you're finding the show helpful, and I'm glad I can accompany you while you're out on your dog walks. Next up is a very special 100th episode of the Audiobook Speakeasy. If you're a fan of the show, you won't want to miss it. Until then, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!